A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. Right then, TalkSport have the broadcast rights for England's upcoming Test Series in India. Every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. Uh, in a moment, we'll look at the squad the hosts have named for the first two Test matches. Sussex head coach Paul Firebrace, an old friend of the programme, will join us to look back at Ali Orr's departure from the club and ahead to a new season. Talk Sports Cricket Editor John Norman joins us again for another weekly debate. This time, he'll reflect on reports that Hampshire are in talks with the owners of the Delhi Capitals about a buy-in rather than a buy-out and what that could mean for English cricket going forward. And we'll end the show with any other business as Dean Elgar, former South African captain, signs for Essex on a three-year deal. Steve Smith is Australia's new test opener and will bring you the final word. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. As I said, TalkSport have the exclusive radio rights for the series. Very, very exciting, Harmy. Uh, we're ten days away from that first test match, uh, supposedly uh, six days away from you and I flying. This time next week, we're supposed to be in Hyderabad, and I'm sure we will be, but there are some logistical issues, <laughs> um, <laughs> including visas and uh, one or two other things to sort out, but I'm looking forward to it. But you can't wait to swap Ashington for Hyderabad. I can't wait to swap Ashington for Hyderabad. I played golf all week last week, and I think I, I'm not sure it got to about 10 degrees in seven days, and that's a cumulative test. You know, the, the, the temperatures I left this morning, and when I got in the car, it said minus four on my um, on my dashboard. So, yes, Hyderabad and Vishkapatnam sounds very, very nicely at this time, Mr. Manthorpe, and it will be great to see you in person, um, and it will be great to get out there. It will be good to watch this England team, this this team that's got huge belief in themselves, and over the course of the next seven or eight weeks, they're going to have to need a, a massive now, a, amount of belief in themselves if they want to have anything to come home and and from a positive result point of view. But I think first and foremost, it's brilliant that TalkSport have got the series 
Um, some exciting names that are going to be on show. And it's great to see that Bumble's going to be back on in listeners' ears. Um, Goffey's going to be you know, around, Jude's, Bats, usual team. So, no, very excited and I can't wait to get to Hyderabad. Yeah, it's, um, I, it's a series that I'm so, so looking forward to. I must say that I think expectations are ha, have been pitched very realistically. India are a red-hot favourite, so I've yet to hear or read anybody suggesting that uh, England are likely winners of the series. Let's talk about India, though. They've, mentioned, uh, they've named a squad for the first two Test matches, which uh, includes four spinners and three wicketkeepers. Uh, K.S. Barrett, apparently, is going to keep in the first test match at this stage um, but also KL Rahul he's um, going to bat probably at number six I suppose as a specialist batsman and also um, a, a, a first call up for Dhruv Jurel so um, it's the four spinners though that really catch our attention. Yeah 100% you know the, the, the four spinners it, it, it's glaringly obvious after what Rohit Sharma said in, in India in South Africa what's going to happen and what kind of pitches they're going to be playing on um, they've got Kuldeep Yadav there as well. I would imagine it'll be, you know, Jadeja, Ashwin, and, and Axar Patel, you know, either side of Mohamed Siraj and Jasper Bumrah. They'll probably be the, the, the bowling attack that England get hit with. And the rest of the team probably picks itself. Um, when you look at Rohit Sharma up the top, you know, you've got the middle order of Gil, Kohli, and kill Raul from an experience point of view that's a formidable team that's going to hit England in, in Hyderabad but I agree when I've seen that 16 names the attention was drawn straight away not to the three wicketkeepers, keepers but the quality the top draw quality of the four spin bowlers that India can possess to get out in that not just the first test but across five test matches so when we look at Indian teams of 12, 15 years ago, um, when, do you remember when they had the, the big six? I mean, mm. that top six, every one of them yeah. had a, an intimidating uh, kind of factor to them. But I, I just, I mean, I've been, it's not been keeping me awake at night, but I have been wondering where England might be able to find a crack and, uh, and, <laughs> and start prizing and see whether they can put a bit of pressure on. I mean, I'm a massive, massive fan of Shubman Gill. Yashasby Jaiswal, Shriyas Iyer in the middle order there. 36 test matches between them. No doubt about their quality. But I just wonder whether there might be a little bit of fragility in that middle order. Yeah, I think that's where England have got to be looking positive. I think we mentioned last week about the mindset of, of how Ben and Brendan have got this group and got this team. And that's going to be, for me, if they have any chance of winning, that's got to shine through like you'd not believe. And that is an area where I think England can can get at India. That middle, that the sort of middle order. Can they can they get the middle order in and utilize the new ball? The new ball is going to be going to be crucial. Um, whether it's taken by a spin bowler, um, but whether it's at its hardest and if it moves laterally, swings through the air, um, or it bounces. You know, a little bit of inconsistency, natural variation of the surface when the new, when the, as the new new ball gets gets softer, they're the key areas I think for me that England are going to have to outshine uh, India in this series, and that could be as simple as getting Kohli in while the ball is is doing something. So if it is, you know, if Jimmy has got it swinging and it it gets gets swinging from the you know from the first over. Can you get Coley in while the ball is moving laterally? Because we know over there it doesn't move for that that much, if if at all. But we've seen signs last time that Anderson was in 
in India, you know, getting started against Jimmy, he's very, very skillful. And if he, can, if he does have the ball moving, we've seen two or three times where he got wickets, bang, bang, bang. That would be something where I would imagine England will look at. And, you know, you've, you've got Jadeja, Ashwin and Axel Patel probably at seven, eight and nine. They're good players and, you know, fine, fine all-rounders. But still, you, you, if the ball is spinning or if it's, it's doing something reverse swinging by then, you'd, you'd feel as though there's an area there where you could, you could capitalise on. So they're the, they're the key battles because it comes down to wickets. You know, England have got to get runs on the board and Joe Root's got to have a series of his life, like I've said many, many times. But I think it, it does come down, if you want to win the Test match, you've got, to, you've got to get 20 wickets. And Ben's quite positive and proactive with his few positions when the spin bowlers are on. So I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how England's tactics are, but they are the vulnerable areas I think India could be exploited. I just wonder whether the status of favourites and underdogs actually how much of a role that will play because India are expected to win. Let's not forget that England won the first Test match um, when they uh, they went on to lose three one, of course. But I, I I wonder going back to that that middle order, Jaiswal, uh, Gill, and Shreyasaya all like to feel bat on ball mm. from early on. They're all in the T20 lineup, And I, I just wonder whether, well, we know that Ben Stokes is happy to roll the dice and uh, whether he might sort of opt for a, a tempting kind of uh, approach. Do you know what I mean? Um, get them playing shots early when they might be vulnerable. He knows they all like to. Uh, he'll keep the field up, will he? Uh, and initially, anyway, just try and tempt them into falling into one of his traps. Yeah, definitely. I think he will. I think he will. He will definitely keep the feel up. I think he will. I, I can't see him going Nasser Hussein style. You know, seven <laughs> men on seven men on the offside and telling Matthew, "I got the ball a foot outside off stump." I, I think Ben would give up the captaincy if he even contemplated going down that route. But I, I can see him. Yeah, I can see him having a, a contest. I think that's where England, England have got a chance if they get into a contest. If, if they're getting into a contest with India. Then England, I think, have got have got a chance because I think they've got contest players. I think they've got contest mindset. England's mindset's brilliant in, in the Test match arena. They're very positive. They want to come on the front foot. They don't believe in you know the names and you know, the, the, the the play the you know they play the ball and the play the situation as they see it and try and take the positive out, outlook on on every single opportunity. So, with that in mind, I think a contest will suit England. And I think Ben might set up that way to go, do you know what? Yeah, they are great players of spin. And we might not have the experience in the spin bowling department, but have they got it in them to go and continuously hit the ball over the top if I keep my man up? So there will be, a, I would imagine that possibly will be a little, the odd backward step from Stokes. But I think the majority of the time, he'll be on the front foot because I think he'll believe that if we get into a contest we've got more of a chance than just sitting in and waiting for them to make a mistake. If we wait for them to make a mistake, then you know, we could be waiting all day. So I'd imagine you know, that that's England's another way England will try and exploit India by possibly ruffling a few feathers and seeing if they can get under the skin and see if they can get India to make a mistake that way. We'll speak a lot more about this tour um, in the rest of the programme. There's a question I've been wanting to ask you for two years and um, I don't know why I'm going to do it on air, but I am. Ben Stokes's approach, what do you think was going through his mind? And in fact, you may know what was going through his mind when Chris Silverwood took over as coach and said, 
that his mantra was going to be batting time, returning to good old-fashioned grinding test cricket, bat time, bat time. What, what, what do you think Ben Stokes' thought was at um, that time? I think it, what, you, what you sometimes get in a dressing room like that is there are, you know, when you do have, it's not so much you don't have respect for the coach because you have got respect for the coach. But then when the coach is going down a path, where you know you don't want them to go down. Then you start looking at buses out the window. You can wonder who's on that plane in the sky as it's going over. You, you just stop listening. Going back time to Ben Stokes, you know, have he been, if Ben bats time and bats four hours, I expect Ben to be 150. That's <laughs> That would be the the, you know, the, the way he, he is as a person, the way he's a player, and he's a true believer in, in on that front. I, I can imagine... When Chris Silverwood was going through the motions of seeing what he was seeing, I'm not sure Ben would have heard too much after the part of but we'll bat time, we'll go back to the old-fashioned way and try and bat for a long period of time. I think whatever Chris Silverwood said after that, there's no point asking Ben Stokes because he probably didn't hear and just a reminder that uh, we are both massive fans of, uh, of Chris Silverwood yeah. and uh, there are many ways to play test cricket. That just wasn't the Ben Stokes way. Um, right, a reminder that you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's five test matches um, right here on TalkSport 2, the action getting underway. On the 25th of January in Hyderabad, you're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, uh, along with the regular Steve Harmison. And you can now watch us on YouTube as well, if you fancy. Just head over to TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel and subscribe. Now then, our live guest uh, for the week is uh, Sussex head coach Paul Farbrace, um, who's an old friend of the of the programme, and uh, we do very, very much enjoy your company, Farby. Uh, so let me um, deal with the, the burning issue for many Sussex members immediately, and that is the departure of Ali Orr, born and bred Sussex man, of course, and uh, he's gone to Hampshire now. I think that uh, hurt the Sussex uh, membership Greatly, um, and I know that uh, you kept your your powder dry and, and and didn't comment. I'm very glad that you are able to come on now. And uh, and I don't know. I guess you've probably spoken to thousands of Sussex members already. But uh, for those of you you haven't spoken to, uh, fill us in the details. Yeah, look, we had you know good conversations at the end of the season, as you do with all players, and it became very obvious that you know that there were. Uh, conversations around a contract. We we were prepared to extend the contract. We weren't in position to perhaps meet the financial demands that were needed. And, and uh, you know, th- this happens in cricket. And, you know, the frustration for Sussex members is that they see a, a talented youngster, but, you know, leave the club. But look, you know, I, I, I wish Ali all the best. And, you know, th- there is no bad blood between Ali and I. There was a bit made of a disagreement we had at Derby in the second to last game of the season. But, Again, that happens in sport. And, you know, it, it, it's it's just one of those things. And we move on. You know, we wish Ali all the best at Hampshire. He's got a great opportunity to go to a fantastic club. And, you know, he'll want to do well for them. And, you know, he's got aspirations of playing at the highest level. Uh, he's a hard worker. He's a talented cricketer. And he's got a great opportunity. So, you know, I, I, I did say, you know, I, I shared a lot with members at the time about that's the nature sometimes. And nothing has changed, really. I mean, yes, I've learned lessons from it. You know, even at the age of 56, you still learn lessons. And could I have done things better? Yeah, possibly I could have done. Could I have changed the end result? I don't think I could. Um, but maybe I could have done one of the two things a little bit better at our end. But, you know, time's moved on now. And as I say, I wish Ali all the best. And I hope things go well for him. 
And Fabi, you know, we had Dale Benkenstein on the show last week and he talked about his time from Gloucester and it, Benke said it's getting harder now for the, the sort of non-test counties, the smaller counties, shall we say, against the bigger counties, you know, the, the ones that have got you know, the potential IPL team coming into to Hampshire. But you know, the, from a financial point of view, how difficult is it trying to keep your best players, especially when you're not at one of the sort of test venues who's raking it in from the international side of it? It's not easy. And, and you know, it's probably only going to get harder. And Benke and I talked a lot during the course of the season in our games about that. And, you know, it's harder. And I, look, I know from only 12 months ago, the budget that I had at Edgebaston with Warwickshire compared to the budget we have here at Sussex is different. And, you know, the one thing that I would say to... You know, Sussex members in any other Division 2, smaller, non-test playing, however you want to perceive them, non-test playing grounds, you're always going to struggle and you are going to lose players. You know, that there is no question that players will want to play at test match venues. And with the 100 as well being attached, you know that at a test playing ground, you do have bigger and better budgets. On a positive note, Fabi, you've brought in John Simpson, fine player, weighty keeper, you played ODIs for, for England, and he's going to be your captain. Talk about that decision. Yeah, look, Simo was somebody that, um, you know, I chatted to Middlesex at the end of the season about, you know, he was still in contract, but, you know, he's someone that really fitted the bill as to what we were looking for. It's tough on Oli Carter, who was our keeper last year. He scored a lot of runs, 800 runs, and kept well times. You know, the players learn from players. They don't learn from coaches. Our job is to facilitate that learning, try and create, you know, a good environment for them to learn in. And I felt we needed a couple of experienced players to help our developing younger players here at Hove keep improving, but have people on the field to learn from and learn with. And that's where Simo comes into it. He's, you know, he's an outstanding cricketer. He's still by far one of the fittest in our squad. Um, he's very driven. He wants. He hasn't come here to you know, retire in a deck chair at home. He's come here to, you know, hopefully keep pushing himself uh, and keep winning games of cricket. And that's exactly what we want. So, you know, in many sense, him taking over the captaincy, we've talked about it a lot over the last couple of months. He's going to do the first seven games, which I think is sensible because he wants to make sure that not only is he the right person to be the captain, but also he wants to make sure that it doesn't affect his game, both as a keeper and as a batter. And I think that's a you know a very sensible approach. There's a natural break after seven games. You know, I, I fully expect him to carry on. But you know, the great thing is that he's going to give himself the option. And you know, as I say, I think it's a good option. But he is an outstanding person. He's been brilliant here with us so far. Hasn't missed a session. And you know, he's just a good person for our younger developing players to keep learning from. Really, Bobby, I know you wanted to concentrate uh, as much as possible on the field, and um, you probably had to deal with a little bit more off-field stuff um, than you would have liked. Um, now that um, Rob Andrew has departed as, as chief executive, I mean, there were a number of former players, weren't there, who were, who were claiming that uh, Sussex was uh, in turmoil and there was a certain amount of dysfunction going on. And yet, you were just 17 points behind uh, Worcester last season. Are you confident that you can actually, you know, stick to more of the tracksuit job rather than the suit job and, and actually get Sussex back into Division 1 next season? Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I said at the start of last year and it was very punchy because the team had won one game a year for three years <laughs> in the county championship. <laughs> and I said at the start of the year, our goal was to be promoted. And, and you know, I, I, I haven't come to Hove to 
um, you know, take it easy and just cruise for a couple of years. I put myself under pressure as well as the players by saying I expected promotion. Now, the, the gap between us and Worcester, we earned the same amount of points, but we lost points um, for bowling our overs slowly. We lost five points for our over eight and we lost 12 points for our ill-discipline in one game where we really messed up. That can happen. And, I, you know, we, we, we've been over that. And part of it was the fact that we were really pushing to win a game. And, you know, our younger, inexperienced players perhaps just didn't quite cope with the situation as well as they could have done. They've learned from it. I've learned from it. So we, we achieved the same amount of points. We earned the same amount of points. But Worcester rightly have gone up. They won a couple more games than us. We drew too many games. But, yeah, I genuinely believe we can be promoted. And, and there's no point turning up if you don't expect to win and you don't have hopes of driving to get in the top division of the county championship. You know, if I turned up and said, look, let, let's try and win three games this year, maybe you see if we can win four games next year, I'm letting the players off the hook straight away mm. and I'm letting myself off the hook because, you know, professional sport is about winning games of cricket. And I can talk about development and, you know, progress and all that sort of stuff. But members, supporters, they want to see their team winning and they want to hear that you're trying to win. And I think the biggest message isn't necessarily to the members and spectators but it's actually to your dressing room once you start talking about progression and development players naturally start to think oh we're off the hook a little bit here and that's why I've talked about openly trying to win and look some of the former players you know the, the criticism stung I, you know I don't mind admitting you know there was a there was a period in November where you know I, I probably did think about whether I was the right bloke to do the job and whether actually I, I could actually keep pushing things forward because we definitely made progress in Red Bull. No, we didn't in White Bull. We didn't in 50 overs, definitely. 20 over cricket, we won five games away from home and we only won one at Hove and that cost us in terms of getting into the qualification stage for knockout games in T20. But yeah, I, I was stung by the criticism and I guess, you know, if you put yourself in this sort of position, people are going to be critical. I, I guess it hurts a bit more when it's former players who know what you're going through, know how tough it is. But, you know, ultimately, I, I sort of then square it off and think, well, they care. They care about their club. And, and if, you know, they're entitled to their view about how things are being run as much as anybody is. And, you know, I, I suppose you have to take it on the chin and put up with it and get on with it. And Fabi, just finally about now and how things are going, wintered well. And there's been, a, obviously, Rob Andrew and one or two have, have, have gone to pastures new, but... How things have gone before Christmas? Well, you're looking like after Christmas, a couple of the boys are doing well out in in India with the uh, with the Lions. I see. So, I seen I seen Sussex a couple of years ago, um, and me I joke with Manners about how young you know your your team looked, um, but so many exciting prospects. Is there progress with that? And and where do you see yourself going into this season? Yeah, look, I I think we, as I said, Red Bull cricket, we made really good progress. Things settled down a little bit pre-Christmas. But in terms of the players, you know, they were working very hard November, December on their fitness and fielding. Uh, we've started cricket last week. We do Mondays and Tuesdays Red Bull. Thursday, Friday, we're doing White Bull. The practice has been excellent. The commitment's been really good. It's been great having time on Mills, John Simpson, Danny Lamb around the group because obviously, you know, they're experienced people who bring good knowledge, good experience to us. We've got a good mix of youngsters and senior players who are practicing at the moment. We've got a few overseas and genuinely, and it should be in January, but genuinely there's a feel good about the place. Yeah, we need a chief exec. You know, the, the interviews are ongoing for that at the moment, but that's, you know, that, that's another part of the club that gets dealt with at another time. My focus is purely on the cricket side and the on-field. And I think if we can 
you know, keep winning games of cricket, keep improving as a team, challenge to be promoted to Division One, then you hope that you give the whole club and you give the supporters and everybody who works at the club a bit of a lift because, you know, that, that's what the game is about. It's about what, that, what happens on the field. And I can talk and make as many predictions as I like in January about the squad. But I genuinely think we've got a very exciting group. We've got some very good overseas players who will complement our own players. And I genuinely expect us to be up there challenging for promotion come the end of the season. You know, I think Yorkshire in our division, you know, they would be looking to do what Durham did last year. And Durham were outstanding. Best team in the competition, set great standards, played brilliant cricket and thoroughly deserved to go up. And as did Worcester, who played good cricket. But there's some good teams in our division. One or two obviously have come down from Division One who will fancy their chances of going back. But I think we should be challenging. I think we should be openly talking about being there or thereabouts for promotion come the end of the season. Because, you know, that I, I think we have got the squad quite capable of really pushing to get, get ourselves in the top division. Barbie, you've been very, very generous with your time. And just 30, 30 seconds more, if I may. How can England win the Test Series in India? Well, <laughs> And you've only I, got 30 I, seconds. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I think it, I, the one thing about the England team is the, the difference between going to Pakistan last year where they went, you know, two days prep in Abu Dhabi in terms of match play into Pakistan, played brilliantly. I absolutely love the way they played. But we all know that batting in Pakistan is different to batting in India. They're going to come across very different surfaces. So hopefully they're camping Abu Dhabi, that they've produced pitches that they expect to have for India. My hope for them is that they continue to play that really aggressive way of playing the game. They really look to take the Indians on. They look to put the Indian team under as much pressure as they possibly can. But I just hope that they, they play with some sensible thinking at times. Trevor Bailey's used to talk about smart cricket. It's all very well playing positive, aggressive cricket, but you've also got to play smart cricket as well. And there were times in the summer against Australia where England didn't always play smart cricket, perhaps a little spell at Lord's frustration, you know, and I'm saying that as a supporter wanting England to win. But the way that England are playing Test cricket at the moment, fantastic. I, I actually think winning in India is actually a greater outcome for any test cricketer, an English test cricketer, than winning in Australia. Yeah. Winning in Australia, of course you want to win the Ashes. Of course you do. But winning in India, it will be an absolute sensational win for this team. And, and I genuinely think they got the players and they've got the belief to do it. I just hope that they can be smart enough at the right times and it would be fantastic seeing them go and win in India. I, I think we would all absolutely love to see that. And, and I'm always the optimist, so I think they can do it, definitely. Paul Farbrace, thank you very, very much for your time. It's just just such a pleasure hearing you. You're always cheerful, always positive, and good luck with the with the rest of the winter training. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks, Army, and uh, speak to you both soon. The irrepressible head coach, Paul Farbrace. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2. With me, Neil Manthorpe and Durham Hall of Famer, Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, TalkSport's cricket editor, John Norman, joins us for his weekly debate. Uh, and this was a subject of his choice, not mine. Will the IPL and its franchises eventually take over all of cricket on and off the field? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, and if you've missed any of the show or you want to catch up, uh, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed, available, as always, from the free free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Right, John Norman uh, joins us to talk about co-ownership or part-ownership of county cricket and perhaps even 100 teams. Hampshire have confirmed that they are... Quotes, fully engaged in some detailed negotiations with potential investors after reports that the GMR group, uh, co-owners of the Delhi Capitals in the IPL, are in talks with the county to buy shares in the club. It's very, very interesting. Now, I think that the 100 uh, was always set up uh, for those teams to be to be bought eventually and to make a lot of money uh, for the tournament and for, for English cricket. But I've been taken aback, looking from a distance, um, been quite surprised, John Norman, about Hampshire County Cricket Club. And what would the major say in uh, Faulty Towers if he heard that uh, his (laughs) beloved Hampshire might be bought by the Delhi Capitals? Well, I think the first thing he'd say is, who are the Delhi Capitals? Uh, But you're you're kind of dating yourself a little bit there, man. So there's a reference for anybody over the age of 45. I imagine our producer right now is scratching his head and... Busy Googling the major. Um, might be Googling 40 Towers as well. It might be Googling <laughs> us. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is a big story. And I want to take you back to enable us to look forward. I want to take you back to 2005 because, you know, looking at the report that's come through or the story, uh, I think Nick Holt had it uh, in the Daily Telegraph. And uh, the headline was, Hampshire sale could be first step towards Indian control 
of English game, which is a little bit of, you know, it's a, it's a headline that's set to, to worry, to concern. Let's go back to 2005, because for me, there's, there's a common theme in all of this. And we've heard it from Rob Key in the last 12 months. And we've heard it from various ECB bods uh, when uh, discussing broadcast deals. And now we're hearing it from this, which, as we all believe, is the end game in terms of the 100. How do we get the investment that's going to prop up the game? 2005, of course, the ECB sold cricket coverage to Sky. That was a headline in the Daily Mail. The ECB chairman at the time, David Morgan, at the end of a, a, a long blurb of the reasons why, said that this deal financially secures the future of the game. And this is a kind of, this is the message, right? This is the message throughout. Every single time the new rights deal is done, or any rights deal, in any sport probably, but particularly cricket. It's all about safeguarding the uh, the present and future of the game. 2017, Sky Sports and BBC get broadcast rights to English cricket. A £1.1 billion deal. Many people believe that this is the reason that Tom Harrison was brought into the ECB to secure this deal. His experience at IMG um, uh, was uh, seen as one of the reasons why he was going to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. And uh, it's a great result for cricket, said Tom Harrison in 2017, chief exec of the ECB. Together, these new deals will deliver the partnership, distribution, investment that will fuel the future of the game. That word again. Now, in and amongst the blurb, there was indication, but we didn't know it, that actually he was thinking beyond international cricket. Even at that stage, he was thinking about the 100. It wasn't called the 100 then. 2018, I remember being called to the ECB offices to essentially be briefed on, off, uh, off the record about the need for the 100 was to protect the future of the game. The viewership of cricket uh, is only older in golf, another sport which is struggling for, for relevance, albeit not money. So essentially, we were, we were asked to get behind it because the game needed it. That was 2018. Of course, 100 came to being in 2021, was it? I can't remember. COVID pushed it back a year. We've had three years of it now. And here we are, 2024, a new deal was done last year, 2023, uh, to push Sky Sports coverage to 2028. The BBC have also signed an extended deal to 2028. And now we're in a position where I guess we thought we would be with external investors. The schedule has already been cleared for August, although it's encroaching towards the back end of August for Sri Lanka. But that's only because the T20 World Cup's in June. And uh, even the ECB can't create a new month uh, in the year. But essentially, August has been given over to the 100. We've discussed the rights and wrongs of that. But the question I would like to ask, Manners, because we can see what's coming. It's the future of the game. It's the reason that will be given for attracting overseas investment or even investment from this country. I don't really see any difference. Essentially, you're handing over power of our game outside of its, uh, outside of, so it'll be outside of its own control. And we know the reasons that will be given for and against, and uh, we can argue those at length at a different time. But I want to take you forward to 2028 or 2029, when this money has run out, just like the £1.1 billion ran out, just like the money in 2005 ran out. When this money runs out, what have we got left and where are we going to be? Because I'm not sure there's anybody else to sell it to. There's no more money to be made here. But more money will have to be made. 
So where is the game going to be in 2035 or whenever this happens? And that's the question I don't know the answer to. But I have a fear that essentially what's going to happen is what we're seeing right now in South Africa and have done over the last couple of years. The power will not be in this country. The money would have been spent. We'd still be in the same problem with scheduling. The players will still be earning megabucks at the top and not a great deal at the bottom. And essentially the power won't be here anymore. And that for me is when we are going to have all sorts of problems. Well, English cricket needs to become like an American Ivy League university, doesn't it? Uh, it needs to become like it needs to do a deal that uh, means it can put three trillion pounds in the bank, like Hale and uh, like Yale and, and Harvard, um, in order to secure its future against all eventualities. So, in my personal experience, okay, the the SA Twenty, all six franchises have been bought by IPL teams, and. I just, I just want to say to, <laughs> to English cricket, to counties and to, to the ECB, to anybody who listens, if you sell to an IPL franchise, this is just, just my personal experience, it, you are selling. They won't pay rent. They are buying. And the um, provinces around South Africa have, have found that that is exactly the case. When an IPR franchise CEO moves in, he says, uh, I want that office. I want that parking. In fact, I want all the parking. I want all the hospitality suites stripped. Um, and people say, well, hang on. I've been supporting this province for 25 years. It doesn't matter. We've bought it now. Out you go. You can come back in six weeks' time. And that's okay. It's understandable for the 100. What's really shocked me, though, is, is Hampshire County Cricket Club. And Harmy... I know feels very strongly about this, um, and I know that it's a, it's a very contrary to Kevin Peterson's uh, viewership. But the count the counties are member driven. That's the lifeblood of English cricket, isn't it? Isn't it the members? I know yeah. that. I mean, there's three I think that are not county, and that's Hampshire, Durham, and Northampton. I think them three aren't. Uh, owned by the members. Yorkshire's owned by the members, as you can see what's for now, happening. For now with, it is. Well, it's going on. But, but it won't be, will it, if but Colin Graves comes back? But it won't, you know, it won't be if, if well, obviously, when Colin Graves comes back, that, that comes through. I mean, you, know, the, you look at the... John makes like, the, the valid points of when it runs out, where does it go? What do we have? My there'll big question be, is, what happens to the, be, the, the clubs? I imagine there'll be 50% less members. Yeah, but who's... And who's... that is down to age as much as anything. But then who and owns these they're... players? That, that, that <clears> for <throat> me, is it's like who owns these players? If, if, if Hampshire gets taken over by Delhi Capitals, which it looks like there's... You know, that's not a rumour. That, that, this is potentially happening and there's, there's wheels in motion. It's gone far too far down the line to think that this might not happen. But then all of a sudden, who owns the players? Is it Hampshire County Cricket Club that owns the players or is it Delhi Capitals that owns the players? Coming back to what Alex Stewart said to us not long ago, you know, about freelance cricketers and the, you know, the cricket side of it. If you're a member of Hampshire Cricket Club, you know, well, where, I, I think it goes the beyond murky, that. Murky, the murky side of I think it goes who beyond, owns the players and I who think owns it goes the, beyond the club. I, because, look, I can't, off the top of my head, think of players who play for Southern Brave who represent different counties from Hampshire, but I'm sure that there's at least five or six of them, probably more. Who owns those players? Yeah. That's, that, that, for me, is, is actually the question. And there's a knock-on effect in English cricket. Because those players are owned by Surrey yeah. or by Nottinghamshire or by Leicestershire or wherever they come from. So who actually owns them? Because it kind of makes sense in a weird way if Delhi Capitals come in or whoever it is and they buy Hampshire 
Southern Brave. But, of course, the players aren't all the same, are they? They come from different places. So if there is importance placed on the 100, which is, as listening to Manners, says that's exactly what's going to happen, well, suddenly you could find a situation where Alex Stewart is getting a tap on the shoulder from Hampshire saying, you can't play your bowler for the county championship in April and May because we want them ready. They're off to go and do a training camp. Or they, they, they've got to go and get ready for the, for the 100. That is where we're going to go, that's surely. Where, that's the, the worrying thing for me is who owns these players, who owns these clubs, because the ramifications are off the back of that and uh, for England, the England cricket team is massive. It's huge because at the end of the day, if, if these IPL franchises or outside money comes in and buys up the white ball format of the game, they're not interested in the red ball format of the game. And to be fair, that's how young kids get into the game. They get into the game playing you know, through their county, through their representative stuff, into the county, then into, you know, you'd hope from like young England or into the Lions and then into England. So if if there's not a pathway like that in the Delhi Capitals or the Mumbai Indians or whoever comes into English cricket, they don't have a blueprint for what's underneath to come through. And all they're doing is buying up you know, ready-made cricketers. Then there is a knock-on effect for the ramifications of of the England cricket team because of because of what what, the, what you what what should be getting built by these counties. Right. Okay. So back to you there, Manners. We know the ramifications for the South African cricket team who will be heading off very shortly to New Zealand, and it's a story you've covered extensively for the last twelve months. How and what is the effect on Red Bull cricket in South Africa? Because that's that's where we're going. We can understand how that might work with England. At the top level, but Harmy's raising the prospect that it's going to affect players coming through playing Red Bull cricket. How has, or is it too early to tell? How has and will the SA Twenty uh, and the external investment affect Red Bull cricket in South Africa at domestic level? It'll. It's becoming marginalised, John. Um, there are the, the first division of the CSA four-day competition now plays less games than ever before in its history. They play seven games, and um, it's become and there's there's no sponsor. There's been no sponsor for for five years because of the mismanagement at uh, at CSA. So the red ball game is becoming more and more marginalised and uh, is battling for uh, survival. But you know, John, I just want to say that South African cricket may well be saved by the SA Twenty. Um, that's a long way down the line. But I just also want to say that that I am not anti-IPL franchises. I just want to say people should keep their eyes wide open because they are big business. They follow the philosophy and principles of big business. They have no philanthropic desire to see English cricket thrive if it does not come from the principles of big business. So you may well find that a county you say, well, um, that's where our senior citizens sit and they get discounted uh, tickets, season tickets, and, and we've always kept that. We've always kept that area for them. Big business doesn't have that attitude. Well, why? Why Why are they paying less? What's the future? The future is in the younger generation, not the older generation. Just one small example. And it's a slippery slope if you sacrifice the principles of what cricket stands for outside of big business. You get into bed with big business, that's the principle by which you have to run and you make your choice. 
Thanks for your time, John. Thanks for the uh, the thoughts. Um, Thought-provoking, certainly. It's a subject that I suspect we'll talk about again in the future. Um, but for now, get back to making sure we get to Hyderabad. <laughs> Thanks, boss. <laughs> John will be back next week for another weekly debate. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. And a reminder, we bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's upcoming test tour of India, right here on TalkSport 2 starting next week. So let's round up uh, the stories that have caught our attention um, in the last week. Dean Elgar signing for Essex on a three-year deal. Um, it, s- it seems that there was uh, a little bit of a bidding war or a signing war between Somerset and Essex. Essex won through, got their man, a slightly lesser like for like replacement for Alistair Cook at the top of the order. Three-year contract. And, uh, yeah, there were reports, I can confirm accurate reports, that uh, actually the South African test coach, Shukri Conrad, did say to Dean Elgar uh, before the Indian series, um, I'd really like to move on without you. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, they reached a compromise that uh, Elgar would uh, be able to play the two test matches. See, the thing is, Homie, he hadn't scored 100 for 36 innings. You know, he, he did appear to be a man in decline. And then he announced his retirement. Conrad said, OK, you can play against India. And he scored 185 <laughs> in the next Test match, one of his best ever innings. So, uh, yeah, that'll be good news for Essex. And they know he's still got it in him. Yeah, great news for Essex. I thought he was that he was a nil on bet to go to, to Somerset. But he's obviously gone to Essex. Simon Harmer and, and Dean Elgar, two very, very good competitors. You know, fierce competitors. And Essex, uh, along with you know, a whole host of others, Hampshire, Durham, Sorry, you know, the, the talk about red ball cricket in this country being, you know, first class cricket being dead and nobody wanting it. Nobody, I tell you what, the championship next year at the top of that tree will be, will be hellish. And there's some good sides in, in that first division and there's some good cricketers in that first division. Um, and, and, you know, you, you throw the odd game where the test boys will be available. There's some high quality in there as well. So Elgar brings, I think, a steeliness to Essex. He'll give them a lot of runs and he'll also give them a lot of experience. And that, I think, is what you know, will probably make Anthony McGraw very, very happy now that Sir Alistair Cook has gone. But you know, Dean Elgar and international class opening batters coming in, um, I think that's a great move for Essex. A couple of other stories. Um, Aaron Finch uh, has retired from all forms of professional cricket. I'm sure he'll be dragged out for a benefit game here or there. Uh, finished with a duck in his final innings for the Melbourne <laughs> Renegades, but truly one of the great, great men. Yeah. There was that, um, and um, actually, uh, Sean Marsh also retired at the age of 40. Uh, so uh, a word perhaps about them, Harmy. And also, what did you make of, of Steve Smith volunteering to, to open the batting? It was a very interesting. Cameron Green said yesterday that he was convinced the only way back for him into the test team would be to open and then suddenly Steve Smith said, I'll do it. Yeah, it was an interesting, it's an interesting one. Steve Smith's one of the modern day greats. It's, uh, yeah. if I'm a bowler, I'm going, yeah, I'm happy Steve Smith's opening the batting because with a new ball, there's more chance of, you know, the ball moving or the ball bouncing or the ball nipping and off the seam when it's brand new. And there's obviously a higher chance you're getting him out early with a new ball as opposed to when he bats at number four or number five. So I think opposition bowlers will think, yes, 
that might be a positive for us. We've got a little bit more chance of getting him out. Michael Clark says now he can break Brian Laura's record of 400 um, because he, he he's going to be there from the start and open the baton. So he is an unbelievable player, you know, a ridiculous talent as, as Steve Smith's been a modern day absolute great and one of the best that it has been. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he goes as a as an opener when that ball does move around because Cameron. Cameron Bancroft had something to say, and I think I think the media threw him under the bus a little bit by when he said the opening batter is a specialist, a specialist spot. And I think he was he wasn't sort of touting for himself or from Harris or for for Renshaw. I think he was just more or less implying that because it was it was about Cameron Green, wasn't it? And I think he was just implying that you have to be a different type of batter to open the batting. And I think the I think that a lot of journalists took it as as a, a bit of sour grapes. I don't think he was he was going down that road. But somebody else that opens a batting, Aaron Finch, what a great fella, really really nice guy, and. You know, he did, he got a duck to go out and if anybody tries to get him out of retirement, I'd I'd encourage him not to because his commentary is brilliant. I think he's one of the best commentators out there now. Of the new generation going in, there's a lot of talk about Warner coming into the commentary box, but I think Aaron Finch is one of the best out there now of the players that have just recently retired. David Gower had quite a bit to say about commentators um, last week. Aaron Finch is definitely not what David Gower was talking about. For me, I think he's one of the best going. So I look forward to hearing Aaron Finch uh, after his retirement. On the subject of commentators, I'll get something off my chest. The SA20 are employing 17 commentators and presenters. 17 (laughs) for a month-long tournament and... I just want to say I've got no problem at all with former players being hired because they're big names. But do a little bit of research. Just just how to pronounce the players' names. That would be a good start. But if you could find out something... There was a partnership of 141 for the Carl Royals between David Miller and a chap called Mitchell van Buren. And the guy's and they were guys, commentating, only spoke about David Miller because they knew all about Mm. David Miller. If it's in your arc, it's out the park. David Miller this, David Miller that. They didn't know who Mitchell von Buren was. Okay, rant over. It's gone. (laughs) Talking talking of commentators, Dinesh Kartik and Graham Swan. I happen to think that, you know, they're both very, very good in the commentary box. And it's really interesting, actually, that they've they've gone for the tracksuit and and training option with um, the England Lions. And your old mate Neil Killeen is yeah, leading that. I think it's team. yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it really is the breath of fresh air. That, that's obviously down to Rob Key. You know, Andrew Flintoff's involved because of Rob Key. People ask me why did I go for the selectors job? I went to work with Rob Key. You know that 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 is something that you 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 he, he attracts. You know, he's infectious. He attracts people, good people, to try and you know pass on their knowledge. And, and Dennis Kartik. Obviously, shared the commentary box with Keezy. Swanee, obviously, best mates growing up. Um, the encyclopedia of knowledge of Graham Swan is ridiculous when it comes to when it comes to commentating, when it comes to spin bowling. He's a great human being, Swanee. He's brilliant to be around for a short period of time. But when it comes to talking about spin bowling and talking about cricket, he's one of the best. He's he, for somebody who sort of larks about a bit and somebody who you know plays the Jack the Lad. Swanee is Swanee seriously on cricket knowledge 
is up there with anybody. You know, when they talk about Mr. Crickets and they talk about the knowledge of the game, Swanee knows he's brilliant and his knowledge is excellent. And I think he he'd be a brilliant addition to to the young players that are that are in there. Especially England have got a, quite a few talented young offspinners, and I think because of that, they can tap into some great knowledge because Swanee has it. Um, but you've got you've got Dinesh Kartik, and you're talking about my my old mate there, Neil Colleen. You've got Dinesh Kartik and Graham Swan, two larger-than-life characters whose opinions will be bouncing off every, you know, every wall that possibly you could find. And then you've got Killer, who just sits there and says, says very little. He's, the, he's one of the most quietest human beings going. He's a great coach, a brilliant fast-bowling coach, a good man to be around, a calm man in a, in a, in a dressing room, which looks as though it could be quite excitable. Um, but Killer says he's a man of few words. As many times you go out for dinner with Killer... And he hasn't said a word all night. And he'd come in the next morning and breakfast and he had great crack lads last night. I loved the, loved the banter. I was like, you didn't see anything. That's, that's Neil Killeen um, to a T. But he's, a, he's an excellent coach and somebody who I think will, will pull all that together very, very well because his organisation skills are brilliant. So you know, I'm pleased for Killer that he's, he's climbed the rung. He's left, eventually left Durham. And he's now working with some good people. Um, and they will, you know, I'm sure they will enhance the, the Lions' experience. And I just want to say on the record that in my 30-plus years of commentary, Harmy, I have never, ever worked with a former player who does more research than you. And when we're in Hyderabad, I'm going to take photographs of your notebook (laughs) and the the research that you do, and I'm going to tweet them just so that people know. I've got no problem. Honestly, you you put ball-by-ball commentators to shame. The last... (laughs) I was going to to jump in because it's like the most anxiety I get doing the football stuff is literally you get the teams I get the teams like 15 minutes before everybody else goes out so you can plan and have a look and whatever and there's some absolute tongue twisters out there in the Premier League now but I'm like I'm on YouTube with me headphones me little headphones in on trying to get their and listening to their names and pronunciations of their names and I still I still get them wrong I'm terrible at pronunciation of names but that's that for me is is something I do just before I give the team so when they come to me right what's the teams at Newcastle and and, and I'm I, I I got so there was one game last year that was so engrossed in it I think it was the Chelsea game I actually I was couldn't get it was Matty Kovacic who couldn't quite get his name right and I got it right that much I named him twice in the team so it it, it is it, but again you're right and I'm 100% with you I've watched a little bit of the SA20 I've not enjoyed listening to it I must admit um, because there are and people that I did, did you know former players that I played with I really struggled to, to hear because some of the coaching tips that they were given and some of the coach I know Dean Headley and Warren Hegg picked up on one or two things and it's like you have got kids listening, you know, you you have got kids listening, and you are teaching, you are telling them the wrong, you know, some of the wrong things. So they're listening to one thing, and then they're going out, and it's uh, for me. I, that's why I love radio commentary. <laughs> Final word this week goes to Sikanda Raza. I'll tell you how much I know about this game. Ten years ago, I said Sikanda Raza would never make it at international level. He's thirty-seven now. He's getting better and better and better, and uh, just recently, um, in the T20 series against Sri Lanka, uh, he scored 50 or more runs and took two or more wickets in five consecutive T20 internationals, mm. joining a club of who, Harmy? Oh, who would that be? Oh, I'm trying to think. Shaky Balasan? Nobody. 
Nobody. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Oh, well, that's amazing, that, to be fair. 50 and two wickets. Yeah, I can see that in, in five consecutive games. Why yeah, people would struggle to get that. So I shall see you in Hyderabad next week. Fingers crossed. You've, <laughs> you've been listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, the one and only Steve Harmonson. And if you've missed any of this show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed. Available, as always, from the TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back, as I said, same-ish time next week for a full preview of England's Test Series in India from Hyderabad, fingers crossed. But for now, you've been listening to Following On. The Following On podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.